great, 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 great. Glad you guys are here. Hey, if you're joining us online, thank you for taking some time out of your weekend to be here with us today. Love for you to be able to fill out one of those links right there in the description or now it's in the comments. Let us know where you're watching from. Love to figure out who's the furthest away watching person today. Probably going to be somebody in somewhere crazy like Croatia or Namibia, but um, who knows? Uh, God's doing a lot of amazing things in and through MCC, and one of those is I believe uh, that the message is going further, guys, than it ever has before. So today, uh, we're starting this series about spiritual warfare, and so I thought it was fitting that I begin with a story about chipmunks. So my wife and I, we uh, recently got back from a trip going out to Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. And so while we're out in Rocky Mountain National Park, um, we're camping. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking is why would you pay, use your good hard-earned money to go to pretend to be homeless? Um, Look, I hear you. I just love being out in the woods. I think it's biblical. Over and over again, if you read your Bible, it says that over and over, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness. And so that's my attempt to do just that. And we're out there. And when we do this, like, we are not glamping. We are literally camping. Like, we're in a tent. Little bitty air mattresses, not the air mattresses that you lay out when the grandkids come over, like, like thin ones, camping ones. And so we're in our tent, night one, all right? Big, 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 giant gusts of wind start coming, and it sounds like our tent is a helicopter taking off. Like, like it just, the, the tarp that's over the tent is just blowing so loud that Jessica and I, uh, neither one of us can, can really sleep. And so it's already hard enough to sleep in a new spot. Uh, it's, it's even harder when you're outside. It's even harder when you're on an inch-thick air mattress. And so we have this crazy idea that we will go get inside, out of, the, out of the, the wind, into the SUV that we rented. And so I let her kind of stay there for a second. I say, get all the you know, sleeping stuff ready. And then I go and I lay the seats, the back seats, down and so that we can kind of be and stretch out in, in the back part of the SUV. So that's where we can try to sleep. So we go. And we get in there, and I'm much more like in the fetal position because uh, Jessica's uh, shorter than I am. It, it worked for her. Eventually, what we came to find out is it wasn't going to work for me to sleep in the back of that, and I just got my butt up, and I went and got back in the tent and slept. So the next morning, we woke up. We went to go make breakfast. Like, I'm going to make, you know, cook some stuff right there at our campsite and everything else. And when I go, and I took, I took the luggage that we had, because, again, we flew out there. I took the luggage. It was put in the front seat. I go to open the luggage, and what I come to find out is... Some sort of creature had found its way into the luggage and ate its way through the fabric of the suitcase and it started eating our food. He had ate oatmeal, he had ate jalapeno chips. We didn't eat a whole lot of jalapeno chips. I think those were a little too hot for him. But ate them. And so we knew this had to be, nothing could have gotten into the car through the little cracks and crevices of the interior of a vehicle. Nothing could have done that. It wasn't a bear, obviously. It had to have been chipmunks. And so that was enough. You know, we're like, okay, well, we just got to be on the lookout for chipmunks. I mean, it's frustrated chipmunks, but they didn't eat all of our food because it was just a chipmunk. And then the next day, we're, we go out. We go on this really long hike. We go on the eight-mile hike. We go to this beautiful, I mean, absolutely picturesque, beautiful alpine lake. And so we're surrounded by mountains. We're surrounded by this beautiful evergreen trees. The, the water is just this picturesque emerald. We hike over to the edge, and again, it's Alpine Lake, so everything's kind of funneling down off the glacier melt and the hills into this lake, so not a flat ground. Everything's like this. We kind of find our way along the shore of this lake, and we string up our hammocks, and not, not like the hammocks that you may have on your back porch, but like an Eno hammock or, you know, your little lightweight backpacking hammock that's made out of the same stuff they make um, parachutes out of. So we're in these, and we kind of anchored up, 
She's in one tree, kind of right here. I'm in another tree. We're just hanging there, and it's just perfect. And again, people have asked me, how was your trip? And I say, the weather was great, and there were no kids, so it was a great trip. Um, some of you guys know what I mean. Um, so it was an amazing trip. We're there sitting in the hammocks, just relaxing, absolutely chilling. Nobody's asking us for snacks, you know, no string cheese, no goldfish, none of that's going on. And nobody in that moment needs us. And life is so incredibly peaceful until I hear, and I'm almost asleep at this time, laying on my back, fully in the hammock, and I just hear this thud land in between my legs in the hammock. And I know it's not a pine cone because pine cones don't move after they hit. And I hear this scurrying, and it is a chipmunk that has dive-bombed me inside my hammock. I am freaking out at this point. Now remember, Jessica is up above me, and so I'm just throwing bows because maybe you don't realize this, but some of us have a really hard time getting out of hammocks when it's like just, just we're just peacefully getting out of a hammock. It's already hard enough. And so I'm trying to get out of a hammock in panic mode, like as this demon-possessed squirrel or you know, chipmunk is trying to attack me. And so I'm elbowing Jessica. I eventually kind of fly out of the tent, and, and the thing is still inside of the hammock. And I'm like popping it to make it fly out and like go, go away from us. And at this point, what went from being an incredibly just peaceful, serene moment, like my temper is here. My adrenaline is through the roof. But I'm also praising Almighty God in heaven that it didn't jump into Jessica's. Because if it had jumped into Jessica's, there would have been search parties and police and park rangers because she would have screamed way louder than I did. And I would have been like the guy who's in trouble. When all this happened, it, it made me think about what we're getting ready to talk about today. Because maybe you're sitting there going like, why, why do squirrels hate our pastor? Why do, why do chipmunks have it against him? Here's the deal. Those little God-forsaken things. Cats. I used, to, I used to despise cats. They used to be at the top of the list. It was probably like snakes, cats, chipmunks. Now it is definitely chipmunks, snakes, cats on the order of animals I despise without a doubt. But here's the deal. The chipmunks, I came to realize while I was out there in Colorado, beautiful place, this animal that most of the time is just an animal that when you're somewhere else like that, has moose and black bear and, and giant elk and mule deer and all these other animals that you want to see, you normally don't give a rip about chipmunks. And so this animal that I normally ignore, I came to realize was actually my enemy. And you know how chipmunks became my enemy? It's because well-meaning people gave them something that they were never supposed to give them. See, the reason that chipmunks now dive-bomb people in their hammocks, and the reason that chipmunks break into FJ cruisers and try to, try to eat people's oatmeal and kettlebell, you know, or kettle chips and, and everything else like that, the reason they do that is because people gave them things they weren't supposed to have. And so when a chipmunk eats a Cheeto, it goes, this is better than acorns. And it, then it seeks to find people because it associates the deliciousness of oatmeal and Cheetos and all those other things with us. And see, guys, while I was there, I realized I have an enemy and he's actually hunting me because people have fed him things that he is not supposed to have. In our lives, I believe we, in a much more serious, much more real, let's turn this corner here, in a much more realistic sense, you're like, why are we talking about chipmunks today? Like, didn't we talk about spiritual wars? Let me lay it out for you plain and clear. We have an enemy. 
And the reason that he is frustrating so many of our lives is because we have fed him things. We have given him things that he was never supposed to have. We have given him time. We have given him attention. We have given him our words. We have given him money. We have allowed things to feed into his plans, his will, what he wants to do as he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy all of the good that God would have intended, not just for us who believe in him, but for all of creation. His plans are moving forward and they're going great because we have given him something that he was never meant to have. Guys, we have a real life enemy. We are actually in the midst of a battle right now as we speak. But man, we can sometimes just not be aware of that. And so I want to say very clearly, when I talk about this idea and we start this series called At War, we are not at war against a different political party. We are not at war against a different race. We are not at war against a different religion or a different country. We are not at war against flesh and blood. We are at war against a real life, true to form enemy. Now I know in starting a series on spiritual warfare, on this reality that we are facing as God's people, if we are going to start a series like this, here's the number one thing that I know is that you, at this point in time, do not realize how much hangs in the balance of you getting what we're going to be giving out over the course of the next two months. Yes, we're diving into this for two months because it is that real, it is that serious. There's so much on the line. And so I want you to commit, I want you to say, hey, I'm not going to miss a Sunday if I have to watch online, if I have to come in person. This is the stuff that we cannot spare missing out on. And I know as we get ready to talk about this, if we're going to dive into this, here's what's going to happen. When you start talking about Satan, when you start laying his strategies and his plans right out in front of people, he gets furious. He gets ticked off because he loves to sit in the shadows and lurk in the secret things and work behind the scenes in our lives. And so what I know is that we can anticipate an attack. Tell you, as your pastor, I love you. I know for some of you, this is freaking you out. You're like, I just want to come to church. I want to be motivated. I, want, I thought he was going to be like that guy on, I saw on TV with, with, with really long curly hair and, and beautiful white teeth. And, and he smiled all the time. And he told me to live my best life. Like, I thought that this was going to be like this, and this is not like that. Here's the deal. I love you too much to let you stay asleep. And if you're going to be in here, and, and I have the microphone on, I'm going to do everything I can to try to wake you up to what is really going on around you. And my hope, my hope is that we would realize that he may just attack. He may attack me. He may attack us. If we collectively as a church say, hey, we're going to stay awake to what's going on. We're going to quit being on the, on the defense and just kind of going, oh, Satan, don't hurt us. Or, oh, let's go into our bunker and let's just let life happen out there. But if we actually say, by the power of God inside of us, we're going to actually be a church that pushes back the darkness here in our city. I believe it is going to frustrate him. And we can plan on something happening. We can plan on a counterattack. If we choose to take back ground that he's stolen from us. So here's my hope. Here's my prayer. My prayer, as I've been praying for this, is that some of you, for the first time ever in your life, I mean this, some of you, for the first time ever in your life, you're watching this, my prayer is that you would actually, for the first time ever, actually become a threat to this enemy that we have. Some of you, whether you realize it or not, you may have never felt like you're on his side, but if you're not with Christ, if you're not walking with Christ, if you're not for Christ, if you're not on fire for Christ, then that means you're no threat to him. 
See, one of the things that you have to understand about when we become a believer, the birthmark of every believer is a bullseye from the enemy. You were no threat, no opposition to him once you did not believe in him. But once you put your faith and your trust in him, you become on his hit list. And for some of you, my prayer is a little bit different. My prayer is for you. It's kind of similar to the prayer I've been having for myself. My prayer is that you would become the threat that you used to be. That you used to be. Those days when you put your feet on the floor and you woke up and there was a joy in your heart. There was a confidence in you. You walked into work, not with this like earthly swagger because you drove a Mercedes Benz, but with this confidence because you knew that God was with you. That you could walk into a, a school counselor session and you knew that like, hey, I'm about to sit down and doing a PTA thing. I'm doing this, you know, meeting with the teacher. And I, I just know like th- this is going to go good because God is on our side. I could go to the bank and talk about these things. I could, I could walk into a hard conversation with a spouse or a boss or whoever because I knew that God was with me and Satan though he may try in that season of life you felt like hey I'm walking with God he's by my side I have nothing to fear what can mere mortals do to me so my prayer for some of you is that you would get back to being the threat to him that used to be you can blame COVID you can blame whatever you want But I believe for a lot of us, this season has caused some of our alertness and spiritual fervor to just fall asleep. And we said, oh, well, things are different right now. When things get back to normal, I'll get back to normal. No, that's a lie. Quit waiting. Quit putting it off. Quit procrastinating. Let's get a fire lit back within us. And for some of you, I said this at the early service, I'll say it here again. Some of you are 70 plus. Some of you amazing saints of God. You haven't come back into the building yet because you're afraid. And I understand that. I'm, I'm totally okay with it. Again, I've said this from the beginning. I'll continue to say this. You are no more spiritual if you find yourself at home watching this online or if your, your butt has found its way into one of these chairs here. You're no more or no less spiritual regardless of which place you're in. But I want to talk to our 70 plus crowd. I know the tendency in our culture is to look at you in this season of life. And to almost say you're useless. Like you just write it out. Just, you know, go to Vero Beach and collect seashells. You know, just just go down to the gas station and chew the cud with the people there. Just ride around town. Have the grandkids over every other weekend. Do those things. Listen, hear me. See my heart as a shepherd, but see the fire in my eyes. You are still in the war. You may have retired from your job, but you have never and you will never retire from being in the middle of spiritual warfare. So don't give up. Don't mail it in. Listen, you may not be able to go down to children's ministry and get down on your hands and knees and chase around my toddler boys. I hear you. I understand. You may not be able to stand at the doors for for 35 minutes and greet people. You may not be able to go down to the soup kitchen and do those things that you used to could. Your mind may not literally be able to even uh, capacitate those things because you're going through the early stages of dementia. I understand that, but here's the deal. You're still a part of the body of Christ. And you actually still have in your arsenal the best, without a doubt, weapon that we have against darkness. You still have prayer. And if your mind is still cognizant enough, whether or not your body has anything to do with it, if your mind is still cognizant enough to pray prayers to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on behalf of his children, then you are still in the midst of the battle. Continue to fight for us on your knees before the King. The best, the best in my opinion, place where 
we have details and information and a behind-the-scenes look about this spiritual warfare that we're actually in. It's actually in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to invite you to go there now to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 10. This is where Paul is laying out. Ephesians is an absolute amazing book. It's one of Paul's best, in my opinion, between Romans and Ephesians, best things Paul ever wrote. Uh, one of the reasons I believe Ephesians as, is, is as whole and as well-rounded and as theologically just beautiful is because Paul wrote it when he wasn't on the run. Paul actually wrote this book of Ephesians while he was sitting in prison, chained up. Plenty of time. He had a really terrible home office. So don't complain anymore about yours. If Paul can write Ephesians from prison, you can work from home. He's there, and he writes this book. And I'm going to invite us, and we don't do this a whole lot here, but this is a passage that's all about standing. And if you're watching online, if you're here in person, I'm going to invite us to grab a Bible or look it up on your phone and go to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to invite us, uh, with the authority of God's word, if you're able to, I'm going to invite us to stand together and read this passage. We're going to go from verse 10 through 18. Again, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Let's read this together, church. And like you mean it, okay? All right. I love you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. Let's pray, church. Jesus. Mm. We're picking a fight. McDonough Christian Church is choosing today to pick a fight. And we're choosing to pick a fight because we confidently know that you have already won the war. And so we want to take back ground. We want to push back strongholds. We want to see chains broken. We want to see your people suited up. We want to show up to this battle, God, not asleep, not still wiping uh, the, the, the dust in our eyes. God, we want to show up wide-eyed, ready to go, ready to take back what the enemy has stolen from us, stolen from our family, stolen from our city. God, we want to be used by you to see lives to see prisoners of this war who are sitting inside enemy camps that they have no idea that they're even in, set free by the power that is in your name, Jesus. We ask and we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so let's walk through this passage. 
Let's go, go to Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. We're going to start here. and We're going to kind of dive in. We're not going to go through the whole entire thing. We're going to spend, again, the next weeks up until Christmas walking through piece by piece every piece of the armor of God. Do not miss a week. This is where we lean in and learn not how to just survive, but to stand the ground that we need to stand and fight against our enemy. Verse 10 and 11, Ephesians 6. Paul's writing, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, we're going to start right there at the word devil, devil schemes. All right, a lot of people in church, when you say the word devil, all sorts of different things come to mind. You think about this, this, this guy in red spandex with a pitchfork. That's not the devil. We're, we're going to today kind of dive into like devil doctrine 101. A lot, of, a lot of misconceptions about who he is, what he's doing. And we're going to dive in today to try to hopefully understand that. Let's start right here. First of all, what you need to know about the devil. What you need to know about Satan. He goes by a bunch of different names. Devil, Satan, Lucifer, all those things. Same thing, same person. First thing you need to know. He was created. Now I know that jacks up some of you. That, that creates like 75 different more questions like, well, why would God create the devil if he knows he's going to mess up so many? Like, well, hold on. We're going to get there eventually. Listen, he was created. So some people can think, well, okay, well, there's, there's good and there's evil. And good and evil have just existed forever. False. It wasn't God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Satan. That's not how it started. Look what it says in Colossians 1, 15, 16. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. Listen, listen to 16. For in him, all things were created. So in Jesus, all things were created, including our enemy, Satan. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay, so listen. There, when we talk about angels, there's heavenly beings, there's earthly beings. We are earthly beings. There are heavenly beings, though. Both, according to Scripture, both heavenly beings and us as earthly beings were both given by God free will. So when you think about angels in heaven, angels in heaven aren't just forced to worship God. Everything that God created, He created with the choice to worship Him as God in heaven or not, you included. And because you have that choice, you are not a robot. God would not just create something and say, I am forcing you to love me. That's not love. That's manipulation. As far as we know, as far as angels go, there are three angels named by name in the Bible. Michael, Gabriel, and a fallen angel named Lucifer. The Bible accounts, and again, Lucifer is this is Satan figure, this devil figure that we're talking about. Lucifer. Name actually means beautiful. This heavenly being who existed with God, with all the angels in heaven. Lucifer, at some point, began to be so puffed up and so full of pride, which the Bible makes it very clear, that pride is the root of sin, that, that pride comes before the fall. That's why it says those things. It's so prideful, this Lucifer, that he sees the worship that God is getting. He sees the glory that God is getting. He sees even this God who would dare to create a human being in his image with free will, free choice, but not heavenly supernatural abilities. And I believe this Lucifer 
angel cannot fathom why God would get the glory that he's getting and he wants what God has. And so Lucifer rallies together one-third, all the angels in heaven, and leads a rebellion against God. Now, whether you're an angel or you're a human, rebelling against God never goes well. God throws them out of heaven. And we have the accounts for this. I don't have the time to, to dig in and deep, but, but if you want to study this, I encourage you to study this. Do some homework on this. Research it. There's two passages. This story happens in the Bible three different times. There's two passages. Please write them down. Go read them. Go study them. If you have questions, I'd love to talk with you about them more. Isaiah 14 is one of those. So Isaiah 14. Isaiah recounts that story. The other one is Ezekiel 28. So Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. I'm going to read to you how it's recounted out of the book of Revelation. Now, I know we get, everybody's talking about end times right now. I had this crazy conversation with my, my neighbor the other day, and we were talking about everything from microchips to devotional times in our driveway. I mean, like everybody's talking about it. But here's the deal. When it comes to Revelation, you need to understand, the Revelation is actually just as much, if not more, revelation about what's been going on behind the scenes throughout human history than it is pointing to what's going on in the spiritual realm in the future. And that's what we see in Revelation 12, 7, and 8. It says, Then a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. That's Satan. That's Lucifer. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. Amen. And they lost their place in heaven. At this point, it's kind of where we need to pause a little bit. Because when we get this deep into a talk on Satan, demons, heaven, hell, and all this, two different types of people in the room. There are the skeptics, the people who at this point are like, if I pretend to go to the bathroom and don't come back, will he notice? And then there are the people, so you're either a skeptic or you're superstitious. The skeptics are the ones who are like, come on, man, aren't we past this? Like, like you know, our society, like, you know, I mean, maybe there's some bad things that happen, but we're really talking about devils and demons, and in that stuff that you see, like, when the TV gets blurry and the head starts spinning around and puke starts, like, isn't that, like, aren't we behind that? Like, that's scary movie stuff. That's not real life stuff. That could never happen to me. And then you have the superstitious people. And the superstitious people who they see, uh, you know, every, every, under every, you know, you know, pillow in the house, there could be a demon. You know, those are the people who, you know, at, at Thanksgiving, you know, when they're on the diet and they walk by the pecan pie and they go, get behind me, Satan. You know, they're, they're, they're those people. And you, you've been at work and you've been in community group with those people who, you know, they get a flat tire and they say, Satan's attacking me. It's like, no, like the, the tire pressure light was on for 15 weeks and you just ignored it. It's not Satan. It's you. So you're either in one of these categories, and what I want you to know is that Satan is just as happy with you being either or. He's fine with you being a skeptic and not believing he's there. He doesn't need your recognition to still destroy your life. On the other side, Satan would love for you to ascribe to him all sorts of things in your life that he really doesn't deserve. He's very prideful. Again, that's from the beginning. He will take credit for whatever you give him credit for. And he would love to get you consumed with what you think he's going to do so that you miss on what God wants to do through you right now. So we see we're either skeptic or we're super superstitious. But what I want to see and I want to show you is that there's actually some big questions that we have to ask to really understand. And one of the big questions that people oftentimes ask in regards to Satan and demons and like how they affect us in real life is they ask this question. Can a demon, again, 
if Satan fell, he's kind of a ringleader in this whole thing. He fell with these angels, and those are the demons who exist here on earth right now. Okay, if we, again, if we kind of come to this middle ground, we just believe, hey, if there is a real God who is good, then there obviously has to be some sort of bad and evil forces. So if that exists, people oftentimes ask a question. Now, I've got this question before. Well, can a demon possess a Christian? Can a demon possess somebody? Short, quick answer to that question is no. When you were bought, you were bought with a price. The Bible says that greater is he who is in you, as in Jesus, than he who is in the world. It says who the Son sets free is free indeed. But the spirit within you is not a spirit of fear. That The spirit within you is a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So can a demon possess a Christian? No. But let me explain something to you. When you got ready to come to church today, you left your house. If you had left your garage door open, the door that goes into your house and the garage door open, front door open, sliding glass back door open, windows open, and a thief proceeded to come inside your house, open up your refrigerator, start stealing your food. After he has enough time eating your chips and salsa, he goes upstairs. He starts taking your jewelry. He opens up the gun cabinet. He does all these things, and he begins to proceed to wreck and destroy and to steal things from your house. Now, let me ask you a question. As the thief is in your house, does he own the house? No. He does not own the house, and he does not have to own the house to destroy the house. Because the owner of the house left the doors open, the windows open, and let anything and everything come into the house. And my question to you right now is what doors and windows of your life have you left open that he is finding his way into? Is it the doors of what you watch on TV? Is it the doors of what you listen to? Is it the doors of the places you go and the gossip you spread? Is it the doors of the way you spend your money? The way that you kind of pass it off and say, I'm not, no, I'm just frugal. I'm not greedy. I'm just frugal. I'm, I'm not worrying. I'm just wondering. I'm not gossiping. I just needed stuff to have for prayer request time. What doors and windows have you left open? Because if they are even slightly cracked, he will find his way in. Ephesians 12. Paul makes it very clear as he's unpacking the strategy of this enemy we have. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers Listen to the words, how powerful these are. Against rulers, against authorities, against powers of the dark world and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. See, what the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, what he wants you to continue to think and believe in your life as it goes through the whole entire time is that your enemy actually is flesh and blood. He wants you to believe that Antifa is the enemy. He wants you to believe that Democrats are the enemy, that Republicans are the enemy, that Joe Biden or Trump is the enemy, that black or white or cop or not. He wants you to believe that they are the enemy. So that you will fight them so he doesn't have to. So that we will wage war and kill each other instead of him having to do that hard work. He wants us to believe that flesh and blood are the enemy. If you don't hear me say anything today, hear me say this. People are not the problem. Let's say that together. It's an election year. Let's say this together. People are not the problem. One more time. People are not the problem. So today, when you leave church and you get on Facebook and you see that person posting that thing, whisper to yourself, 
people are not the problem. When you get in the car to leave church and your kids are screaming and yelling and fighting, people are not the problem. Kids are not the problem. When you're at work on Monday, and that Monday is extra Monday because of the people who are facilitating that Monday, people are not the problem. See, that's, that's, that's one of the biggest things here. And I'm not saying that people don't cause problems. I'm not saying that people don't work and do bad things. I'm not saying that people with flesh and blood skin on, just like me and you, don't cause some bad things to happen. But there is an evil behind the evil. There's the true. There's the root. There's the organic evil. And that comes from Satan himself to work in and through us. Ephesians 6.13 says this. Paul is helping them understand, okay, people aren't the problem. We're waging war against a formidable foe. He says, therefore, in verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God, head to toe, suited up, so that when the day of evil comes, which, uh, that is now. I'm not being prophetic, just being realistic. That is now. You are in this day. That's not something that's going to happen. That's not some prophetic thing that's going to happen after, you know, the, the rapture comes and takes half of you away. No, 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 no. We are in that day already. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand. And guys, if we're going to stand, we're going to stand our ground and fight. We've got to know Satan's strategy. Now, Satan, he's kind of like the Falcons. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me finish. <laughs> Satan is like the Falcons, as in a terrible football team continues to run the same four plays over and over again, expecting different results. Satan over and over again, runs the same four plays. I'm going to show these to you. For some of you, a light bulb is going to go off in your head, and you're going to go, oh, that's what's been happening. Some of you are now going to finally be able to go, okay, I'm going to stop it here before it gets to play four. First part of his strategy is temptation. Temptation. That's where he starts. He starts with temptation. Now, again, I gotta, you got to know this. To be tempted is not sin. It is okay to be tempted. You can put the cookies in front of the kid. You can tell them not to eat them. If they just sit there and their mouth waters and they begin to drool, have they sinned? No. What Satan loves to do, though, is study you. He doesn't have to get in your head to read your thoughts. He doesn't have to get into your heart to know its desires. He sees everything you do, and he determines, based off of what you do, how he needs to tempt you. He knows what I struggle with, and it's not what you struggle with. He knows what you struggle with, and it's not what I struggle with. He is going to come after you with more intelligence, more re he has more recon on you than you would even dare to imagine. He knows you. And what he loves to do in the temptation is he makes it look incredibly beautiful in the moment. Look, let's be real and honest. Like, sin at first is fun. It's fun. I, forgive me. It's fun. If it's not fun, you probably did it wrong. At first, it is fun. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be as realistic as I can. That's the reality. And it's fun until it's not. It's fun until you bite down deep enough into that sin to realize that there is a hook in it. One of my favorite quote, quotes by the late, great Ravi Zacharias on sin and temptation is this. He said, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I would say, if I could add to that, 
And it never looks like it would do those things at the beginning. Never. Second strategy that can get you tempted, get you to fall, is accusation. Temptation moves into accusation. And this is where as soon as you bite down, as soon as you commit that sin, as soon as you do that one little thing, that's where this evil being who just did everything he could to whisper in things, to talk you into doing whatever that was, now goes from talking you into it to condemning you for doing it. Oh, you're so filthy. How is God ever going to love someone who did that? You're just a terrible person. What kind of terrible friend are you to say that about someone who you say is your friend? Have you ever felt, am I the only one who's felt this happen? As soon as you do the thing he talked you into, you feel absolutely terrible and full of shame for doing it? That's his accusation because Satan wants to work on your identity. He hates the fact that God loves you. He hates the fact that God called you a son and a daughter of him. So he wants to attack that identity. He wants to attack What God wants you to sin and mess up and feel guilt so that you repent? Satan wants you to mess up and feel shame to where you go from saying, I did something bad to I am something bad. He's an accuser. He's a liar. And Jesus made this very clear in John 8, 44. Jesus said this, talking about Satan. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's all he does. If he's talking, he's lying. If you're listening, he's lying. He's lying. That is what he does. Next part of his strategy. He can tempt you. He can accuse you. And he moves into isolation. So once you begin to believe this shame... That I am a bad person. I'll always be a, or I'm just a, and you believe those things. What he then does is he says, because you are this way, you don't deserve to be around people who are not this way. He begins to move you off. If you talk to the four elders of this church, myself included, and every pastor who's on staff at MCC, you would hear the same recurring thing that we have seen this happen here in this church and any church we've ever been a part of over and over and over again. As people, people just like you who come into these places, they go through a time where they're connected. They're attending church. They're in a Sunday school. They're doing community group. They're loving and caring for their family. Marriage is hitting it on all cylinders and everything else. And then what happens to happen is is some of that first-time zeal starts to wear off. And then they start to slip back into some of the things that used to be a part of their old life. And then what happens in that is Satan starts to accuse them. And they start to believe some of those things. And we've seen it happen. They start to back away. And if they came to church two times a month, now they come every other month. If they went to community group every week, now they've always got a convenient excuse every week. If they used to give and tithe, now there's just more important things to give and spend my money on. We see them back away and isolate themselves from the place where they truly had spiritual safety, guardianness, and guidance. I don't know about you, but I love to watch National Geographic shows. They're my absolute favorite. I love to watch the one. Big Cat Week. Like, people all hype up Shark Week. Man, Big Cat Week is better than Shark Week. Don't sleep on Big Cat Week. It's amazing. 
Here's the deal, though. When lions go out on the hunt, lions, which Peter described the devil as a roaring lion seeking to devour, when lions go out on the hunt, they go in their pack and they attack a herd, whether it's water buffalo, whatever it is, they attack the herd. And their goal is that, and what they're never going to do is go directly into the herd and try to get it. What they want to do is they want to get the herd moving. And they want to get one little idiot in the herd to just kind of run off a little bit of a different direction. That's why they come and attack from different angles, which Satan will come at us, all sorts of different angles. And what they have to have happen is get one to just kind of get off and to get isolated. And then they go in for the kill. I've seen it happen. Which is me saying to you, if it's true in the animal kingdom, you got to understand it is very true in the spiritual kingdom that the enemy seeks to isolate you. Now hear me, we're in the midst of COVID right now. And it is already more physically isolated than it has ever been. And so I'm going to look specifically into the camera and talk to some of you guys who, who may be more hesitant and fearful about coming back in person. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, again, I've said this from the very beginning. You are no less spiritual because you're watching online. You are no more spiritual because you're watching online. We're going to not let this be something that divides us. But hear me, for those of us who have remained physically isolated, we are going to be more at risk and we're going to have to actually work a little bit harder to stay spiritually connected. That's a reason why I felt like we did need to open our doors. That's a reason why we will continue to do our best to keep these doors open and stay safe and socially distanced. But here's the deal. We're praying for you. We're hoping for you. But listen, you have got to be as strategic as the enemy is. He will strategically use this season, and I need you to be as strategic as well. Because he will leverage the isolation that's already happening to create spiritual isolation that will lead to step four in his plan for us, annihilation. He doesn't just want to destroy. He doesn't just want to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to take you out. That's what Jesus said, what he said in John 8. He said he has been a murderer. Not a bad, not, not a, not a pride. He didn't say he's been prideful, which he has been. He said he has been a murderer from the beginning. That's his goal. That's his identity. And he uses all of his lies to facilitate him aiming at murder. So does he want you to become a drug addict? Yes. But he wants you to not just be an addict. He wants you to overdose. Does he want you to become someone who is, who is anxious and depressed? Yes. But he doesn't want you to just be someone who is depressed. He wants you to take a whole bottle of Oxycontin and die. He doesn't just want your kids to go off to college and to do some things that are kind of you know, reckless and a little whatever. He wants them to get drunk and drive a vehicle and die. He wants death. And that is what is on the line. Murderer. And this is where we have to understand that if his ultimate goal was death, being a murderer from the beginning, turn your focus and look to the cross. And at the cross, realize that Jesus didn't just stop death's pain and death's sting and death's hurt and death's badness. When Jesus went to the cross and did what he did on the cross and rose victorious, what Jesus actually did is Jesus murdered death. He murdered Satan's absolute best weapon against you. And that's why we are Easter people. That's why we are resurrection people. That we may face battle, we may face pain, we may face his struggles. But here's the deal. God, through Jesus, 
resurrection from the dead has given you and me victory so that we, on that firm foundation of the cross, can now stand firm knowing that we are his, we are whole, we are saved, we are new, you were bought with a price, friend. And my hope is that as we dive into this for the next week, you would realize that there is a spiritual warfare going on. And that you are caught in the middle. And that you would begin to take some courage inside of you. That you would apply that same victory that was laid out on the cross. That same victory that was made apparent through the empty grave. And you would begin to apply that to exactly what you're facing today. That you would wake up. That you would suit up. And that you would stand firm against the enemy's schemes. Don't let the isolation get you. For those of you who are feeling isolated right now feeling kind of spaced out right now, I would encourage you, we're getting ready to start an online membership class. We're, we're doing our membership class here at MCC. It's going to be all online. The link's uh, there. If you're watching online, we'll put that link in the comments there. If you're in person, you want to say, hey, I, I, I've come to MCC. I'm a part of MCC. But man, look, we'll all be honest in here. It is not impossible to come and sit in a row at church and to still feel isolated and alone. Anybody ever walked in and walked out? Never felt nothing? Yeah. That's, that's why we believe in membership. That's why we believe in getting connected. That's why we believe in those things. And we want to do everything we can to connect you, to get you to the center of the herd, to get you to the center of who we are, to get you into the core of what MCC is. And so if you want to be a part, you want to become a member of MCC, again, it's all online. You can watch it from your home. Everything is going to be there. Uh, meet Andy. Andy's going to be back there at the back. Uh, if you're doing this in person, if you're online, the link's there in the description. I'm going to let that be one of the next steps today. For the rest of us, as we get ready to round out today, I want to invite you into a time of communion where we see this Jesus putting fully on display that his life was given so that you could have true life, that you could stand against temptation, that you could stand against the Satan's lies, that you could stand against his ability to, to accuse you and try to hurt you and his ability to try to isolate you and his ability to try to kill you. And that's why Jesus did what he did, so that death would no longer have a hold on you or me. And as we pray, as you talk with him, I pray that you understand something really critical here. That your ability to be self-aware, not self-centered, but self-aware in this season will be one of the very things that helps you be strategically aware of how the enemy is trying to attack you and so pray ask ask big questions to ask during this time of communion and see what jesus raises to your heart one what windows and doors of my life have i left open to the enemy two jesus will you reveal to me what he knows about me that i need to be aware of show me my blind spots show me where the kink is in my own armor Help me to stand. Help me to stand. Let's pray together and then meet with Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can gather together in moments like these to be able to meet and connect with you, a holy God, a perfect God, who for some reason said, I love my creation. I love my children. Yes, they're messy. Yes, they continue to mess up. Yes, they sin. Yes, they fall. But they're mine. And Jesus, I thank you that you did what you did so I could be a part of of my heavenly father's family forever and that nothing no one ever could take that away 
Jesus, awaken people. Draw us to you. We lift you up now. We build our lives upon you. You are the firm foundation. You are the only true thing in which we could stand and know that we are on solid ground. And so, Jesus, we stand firm. We build our life on the firm foundation that is only found in you. In your name, Jesus.